Well, welcome to FBC. My name is Joe Andrews. I am not the pastor, so if you're a guest here, don't think I'm the guy that you have to look at every week, okay? Our pastor is not with us. Now, that sounds like he's dead. He hasn't died. Uh, <laughs> he, he's visiting one of our partner churches in Atlanta right now. He's having a great time. God rest his soul. Uh, I'm... <laughs> I'm so excited to be here with you today. I'm really excited just to dive into the Word together with you. We're in the middle kind of of a four-week series, and the series is called Relentless. And what I've been praying, and I've been pl- praying this specifically for you, those people who would hear this message, is the thing that I have been praying for you is that you would not just hear and kind of see what I'm talking about today, but that you would understand it and you would own it as we go through this series. And as we come out of this series, that you would be able to walk out of these doors just owning the fact that God is relentlessly pursuing you. He relentlessly loves you. He's going to never stop working in your life. He's never going to stop working in your situation. He is always going to be relentlessly loving you. And that's what I hope you see uh, just really during these next four weeks. Um, We're actually in the book of Ruth. We're going to be taking a look at each, at one chapter each time we meet. So now we're in Ruth 2 and it's an amazing, amazing uh, chapter. But I want to just tell you uh, what the title for today's message is. It is Relentless in Grace and Mercy. I hope that you are able to see today that God is relentless in showing you his people his relentless grace and mercy. And I hope as we walk through the story of Ruth that that's exactly what you can see, but that you can own it as your own as well as we keep going through this. Just a quick recap of chapter one. Uh, Naomi is really kind of the main focus of chapter one. Naomi leaves her home in Israel and she goes to another place with another God called Moab. They worship a God named Chemosh and he accepts Uh, He accepts human sacrifice, so it's not a good place for Naomi to be. She goes there with her husband and her two sons, and it wasn't too long after that that her husband passes away. And her two sons marry two Moabite women, and one's name is Ruth, and the other's name is Orpah. And uh, Orpah's a beautiful name. If you're ever thinking of naming your child something, uh, don't choose Orpah. That's not great. Uh, So... She moves there, and then her two, daughter, her two sons actually die as well. So Naomi is now found husbandless and childless, and she has two Moabite widows living with her now. And she decides, I'm going to go back to where I came from. I'm going to go back to my people. I'm going to go back to my God. And she decides to do that. And she tells her, uh, her two daughters-in-law, you don't need to follow me. You guys go back to your own people. Stay here. Go back to your mother's home. You don't need to follow me. And Orpah says, okay, I'll do that. And Ruth says, no way. We're in this together. I'm going with you. And so we, uh, one of the things that you see in that first chapter is that God is just working behind the scenes. Even though Ruth and Naomi's lives have been turned upside down, God is still working behind the scenes. And I don't think they were connecting all those dots. Uh, but we're going to see some of those dots start to connect today. One of the ways that God was working was that he had ended the famine, which kind of drove them out of the land in the first place. So now The famine is over, so it's time to go back. And so God was working in that. The other way that God was working in chapter one is that he didn't let Ruth and Naomi go it alone. 
he made sure that they had each other in this kind of upside down time in their life. So here's what I want you to see as we get into chapter two. It's very simple. God delights in displaying his relentless grace and his mercy to his people for their good and his glory. So God loves to show his people his relentless grace and mercy. And he does this for one, for his glory, so that he receives glory. Now that's okay for God because God knows that he is the highest. He is the most worthy. So for him to receive glory is okay. That's not a good thing for me. I don't do things for my glory. I do things also for his glory. And the other thing that he does it for is for the good of his people. He loves us so much that he wants to show us and he delights in showing us his relentless grace and mercy. So as we get into chapter two, I hope those kind of themes come out and and, uh, you're able to see them so clearly as we go through this. Chapter one was really all about Naomi. Chapter two kind of takes a huge turn and we're not talking much about Naomi anymore. We have a new central character in the story and it's Ruth. And she's gonna be the central character really in the story for the next three chapters. And what I hope that you remember is that Ruth is not one of God's people by birth, okay? She's not one of God's people by birth. She's from Moab, a different people with a different God. And when she decides to come back to Israel with Naomi, she says, your people are now going to be my people and your God is going to be my God. But can you imagine being a Moabite rolling up into Bethlehem after having just lost your husband and you're coming with somebody that left about 10 years ago and you get there and the whole town is just murmuring and gossiping about you. One, because you're a Moabite. Two, because you're poor. Three, because you're a widow. And Ruth really just finds herself at rock bottom. But God is going to do something huge. Nobody wants Ruth there. Nobody cares about Ruth. But God is going to do some amazing things. So let's get into the scripture. The first thing I want you to see is that Ruth got to work. Okay? I think our tendency, when our lives turn upside down, our tendency is to just shut down, curl up in the fetal position, and stay there. And some of us stay there a really, really long time. Now, it was easy for Ruth just to say, life has beaten me down, I'm done. I'm not going to keep going. I'm not going to keep living. My life has been ruined, and it's going to stay ruined, and I'm just going to live in this ruin. And she decides not to do that. In fact, she gets to work. She doesn't sit on the couch. She doesn't go home and and watch Netflix like Stranger Things, like some of you have been doing this last week, because I mentioned Stranger Things. Some of you are angry with me uh, because you've watched so many episodes in so short of a time and you haven't got anything else done. But Ruth wasn't going to just sit down. She wasn't going to stay on the couch. She was going to get to work. Let's look at uh, verse one. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech. Elimelech was her husband's name, whose name was Boaz. So the the narrator is just kind of setting up the story for us really quick and really easily right now. He's just saying, now, there's somebody in the story and his name is Boaz and he's coming, okay? But Ruth, she has no idea who that is. She didn't know that Naomi had somebody named Boaz and that he had fields and everything else that we're about to see. It's just for our benefit that we know about Boaz. And guess what Boaz's name means? His name means strength. 
Do you remember Naomi's children's names from last week? I told you one of the names of, of her children was weak, and the other name of, of her other child was fading or wasting away. All right? Yeah, great names. Again, this book filled with wonderful names. Uh, so what we see here, though, is God just, even, even with the names of the people in these actual events, he's just foreshadowing what he's going to do. Naomi and Ruth, they needed someone of strength to rescue them out of the horrible situation that they found themselves in. Let's keep going in verse 2. And Ruth, the Moabite, nobody, uh, the narrator never lets us forget that she's a Moabite. Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean. Okay, I want to explain the word glean to you so you kind of understand uh, that term. Glean is kind of a fancy term for harvest, but let me kind of explain to you why she said glean and why she didn't say harvest, okay? So in that time, the Lord would uh, set up provision for poor people. So if there was a field owner who had a harvest and it's harvest time, he was only allowed to harvest the middle of his fields. He could not harvest the corners of the fields. And the reason he did this uh, is because God wanted to provide for poor people. So the poor people could come and they could harvest from the corners of the field. Now, it wasn't for profit or anything like that. It was just so that they could eat, so that they would have the basic provision uh, for the day. They could also go behind the reapers, the ones that are harvesting. And if they happen to miss something or they happen to drop something, those who were poor and gleaning could pick that up as well. And so they would pick up that barley or they would pick up that wheat and they would glean it and they could take it home and they could eat. And so Ruth is saying uh, to Naomi, I am going to go glean. And so let's, let's keep going. Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. After him in whose sight I shall find favor. She's just saying, hopefully somebody takes notice of me and lets me continue gleaning. So she set out and she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Now, I want you to know that God is in control of this whole situation. She didn't just happen to come there. That's what we read. But God is, is intimately working and showing his relentless grace and his mercy to Ruth. And so she happens to come to Boaz's field. Let's continue. Who was of the clan of Eli Melech. So can you see that Ruth just decides, I'm going to get to work. I'm not going to sit I'm not going to sit and just kind of mope for the rest of my life. I'm going to continue on with life. And I'm going to continue on with this new people and with this new God of mine. And that brings us to the second thing that I really want you to see today. Is that God visibly shows his mercy and grace to Naomi and Ruth. We talked about in the first chapter how God was kind of working behind the scenes, like he provided them friendship to get through the upside down time that they're having. He also ended the famine and they arrive in Bethlehem at just at the beginning of barley harvest. God is doing so many things, but they were so stuck in their upside down worlds, they didn't understand or see all of that yet. And it's right now in Ruth 2, uh, verse 4, where we really see God is going to come out from behind the scenes and he's going to just start pouring his blessings, his mercy, and his grace on the people that he loves, namely in this story, uh, Ruth and Naomi. So here's what I want you to see. God provided food for Ruth and Naomi. So let's go to verse 4 here. It says, and behold, Boaz 
came from Bethlehem. He comes into his, uh, into his field that he owns. And he says to all of his workers, the reapers, the Lord be with you. And they answered, the Lord bless you. So right away we see that Boaz is just this awesome man of faith. I mean, what kind of boss comes into all of his workers and just says, the Lord be with you. Nobody really does that. But Boaz did and his servants and all the people that worked with him absolutely loved him. And you could see he uses the term Yahweh, not just Lord. He uses, may Yahweh be with you. May Yahweh bless you. And they respond in turn. And it's a beautiful relationship that he's already set up with the people who are harvesting his barley for him. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? All right. Now we say that a little differently these days. We're like, hey, she looks cute. Um, can you tell me who she is? I'd like to speak to her. Does she have a boyfriend? Uh, and, and Boaz is saying, okay, for one, I don't recognize who you are in my field. And she's actually kind of attractive. And so uh, this is what his right-hand man says. A servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, she is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came and she's continued from early morning until right now, except for a short rest. And this is where Boaz and Ruth meet. Then Boaz says to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Boaz provides a way for her to continue to feed herself and to continue to feed Naomi. He says, yeah, you can definitely glean here, but don't just glean here now. He actually extends the period when she could be there and work. It wasn't just one day. He said, stay with me till the end of harvest. You have a place to get food now. And so we see that the Lord is working through Boaz, showing Ruth his relentless mercy and his relentless grace in everything that she's doing. And we see the Lord is providing food for two widows who really couldn't take care of themselves. Which brings us to the next point, that God provided protection for Ruth and Boaz. Let's look at verse 9 here. Let your eyes, Boaz says, be on the field that they are reaping, my young women, the people that work for me, or go and go after them. Have I not charged the young women, not, uh, sorry, the young men not to touch you? You see, in this time, there was some tension, okay? If you have a whole bunch of harvesters harvesting a field, and then you say, you can't harvest the corners of the field, that's for poor people. And then the poor people come, and maybe they come in droves, uh, and they come and they start, uh, they start gleaning from everything that's in the corners of the field, and they're following the workers right behind them if they, hopefully they drop something and I can pick it up and I can feed my family. That would create some tension probably between the workers and the gleaners, the poor people. Now, the, the poor people would be people like Ruth, foreigners, People who were just down on their luck, maybe somebody lost a job and didn't have any income, so they had to get food somehow. And so all these poor people come in, and it was a great place for people to belittle other people and insult them, especially a Moabite with a different God in the land of Israel where there's only one true God. 
And Boaz says, no, 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 I'm going to give you protection. When you're here with me, I've already told my young men, they're not to touch you. They're not to insult you. They are to work with you and they will help you. And God is giving her protection in that. And it's absolutely amazing. And this is what it says after. And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face. Can you just imagine if everybody else thinks that you're about this little, guess what your opinion of yourself becomes? That you're this little. And Ruth knew she's in a new place with people that weren't her own. And she knew she had the reputation of being an idol worshiper. And so when somebody shows her kindness, she just falls on her face. Let's keep reading. Bowing to the ground. And she said to him, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, listen to this, everything that Boaz has heard is absolutely incredible. All that you have done, Ruth, for your mother-in-law, Naomi, since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land, and you came to a people that you didn't know before. And then he pronounces a blessing over Ruth's life. I don't know if she had ever been blessed, aside from chapter one, when her mother-in-law blessed her as well. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under, who, under whose wings you have taken refuge. I don't know if you've ever seen a hen gather her chicks under her wings, but it's absolutely incredible. I saw this for the first time when I was overseas, and uh, I wanted, I, I'm just kind of fascinated with all animal life, and so I saw little chicks, and I'm like, hey, I'm going to chase little chicks and see, see what they do. They're so super cute, and I just wanted to see, uh, I wanted to get close to one and pet one, but that didn't happen. So I start getting close to them, and they all run to the mother hen, and the mother hen just opens her wings just a little bit, and every last one of those chicks goes right under there until I couldn't see any chicks. In fact, had I come around the corner after they had been there, I wouldn't have even known that they were there. So this mother hen can protect all of her chicks. And Boaz realizes that Ruth is like one of those chicks. And she's trying to seek cover. She's trying to seek protection under the wings of God. Now, that doesn't mean that God has wings. But we do see this amazing metaphor that God is one who protects his children. And Boaz notices right away, this is exactly why you have come here. You want to take refuge and, take, and get the Lord's protection. Then Ruth says, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I'm not even one of your servants. At mealtime, Boaz says to her, come here and eat some bread. This is probably the midday meal. And dip your morsel in the wine. He didn't mean to say wine. He was a good Baptist. He meant to say grape juice. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her the roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied. And she had even some left over. When she rose to glean again, so she's going to go back in the field and work, Boaz instructed his young men saying this. Now, this is absolutely incredible, the, the protection and the provision that God gives to Ruth right here. Listen to what uh, he tells his workers. Let her glean even among the sheaves, 
and don't reproach her, don't insult her. So now he's saying now she's not just a gleaner. She doesn't just have to get everything on the corners of the field. She can go into the middle of the field if she wants and she can harvest the best barley. And I don't want you to say anything to her because she's under my protection. And so that's exactly what Ruth does. Also, he tells his workers, pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her on purpose to glean and don't rebuke her. So now he's saying she can harvest anywhere in the field that she wants. She gets to take everything that she gets. She gets to take it home. And the other thing that he says is, okay, when you're putting the giant bundles of barley together, I want you to separate out some, let them fall over to her and let her pick those up as well. So Boaz is just pursuing Ruth as well. But we also see God working through Boaz, providing for Ruth and for Naomi. Let's keep going. This is verse 17. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. An ephah of barley is about 22 liters. So if you could just picture up here with me, 11 two-liter bottles of Coke. Uh, If you filled those with barley, that's how much barley she was able to glean that day because they just kept giving her more because that was Boaz's order. Give her more. Uh, I don't know if you remember, at the very end of chapter 1, Naomi comes back to Bethlehem and she says, I left here full. I had my husband, I had my kids, and now I have returned empty because my husband and my kids have died. Ruth gets to this field and she arrives empty. And Boaz says, no, that's not a good situation. And he kind of reverses exactly what happened to to Naomi in the past. And he does it through Ruth. He says, you arrived empty, but I'm sending you home full. I'm going to send you home with enough to eat for a really long time. This is actually just a beautiful love story. And we'll get to a little more of that uh, later. Uh, But here's the next thing uh, that I want you to see. I want you to see that when she beat out uh, the barley, what they would do is they would put the barley on a hard surface and she didn't have a lot to beat out. So she would get a stick and she would just hit it. And when she hit it, all of the, the barley grains would fall off the stem and then she could gather the stems together and throw those away. And then she would have the, the 22 liters. Now, I don't know how a person gets 22 liters uh, home with them uh, because she obviously didn't have a car, um, but she beats all of this out and it's just an abundance. She has a huge amount of barley. The next thing we see is that God gave hope to Ruth and Naomi. And we see this in verses 18 to 23. This is what it says. And she took all of that barley up and she went to the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned and she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. So not only does she have the 22 liters of barley that she's harvested that day, She also has saved the food that she wasn't able to eat because it was too much at lunchtime, and she brings that to Naomi. Now, I don't know when cargo pants were invented, but it had to be pre-Ruth because there's no way you can get 22 liters of barley and all of the food that you weren't able to eat at lunch home with you unless you have cargo pants. And I see some of you guys right now, you're like, I told you cargo pants are cool. They're pretty much in the Bible. Um, All right. (laughs) So here's what I want you to see. 
She brings all of that and she gives it to to Naomi. And her mother-in-law says to her, where did you glean today? And where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. She told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and she said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed. So here's another blessing given to someone else. These are basically a prayer over a person. May the Lord bless him. I pray that the Lord blesses him for showing that kindness to us. Whose kindness, she says, has not been forsaken. The living has not forsaken the living or the dead. And Naomi also said to her, listen to this. This is a key sentence in this uh, verse. If you have your, your Bible with you, the book of Ruth, underline this. The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers, all right? If we're going to understand anything about the book of Ruth, we have to understand that term redeemer, okay? Uh, This one word is used in the first two chapters of Ruth one time, and it's the time that I just read. In the next two chapters, the word redeemer is used 18 different times. So if you come for next week's message, I'm just going to be saying redeemer a lot, okay? Like a lot. Uh, And so let me tell you what this name redeemer means. A redeemer or a kinsman redeemer is someone who, if something happened, someone's world in their family was turned upside down by a death or by some tragedy or by anything, there was someone in the family who could go and rescue the people who would be affected by that, okay? In this case, Elimelech died, left Naomi, and then Malon and Kilion died and left Ruth and Orpah. Now we have Ruth and Orpah who really need someone to help them. And Naomi says, he is one of our redeemers. A redeemer is someone that could actually buy you out of slavery. If, some, if something happened and your world turned upside down, you could actually go and you could sell yourself into slavery and it would guarantee you kind of room and board, okay? And you would be working, but you would never go hungry and you'd always have a place to stay. And when times got rough, people would do this often and a redeemer could come and he could buy you back and say, no, 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 I'll pay everything that they owe, and they come with me. They're under my protection now. And Naomi says, Boaz is one of our redeemers. He's someone that could help us out of the situation that we're in. He could redeem us. It's someone who buys you out and takes care of you. Now, you've probably heard that word used in the New Testament, right? Jesus Christ is our redeemer. And he's absolutely a better redeemer and a redeemer in a spiritual sense that he buys us out of our slavery with the price of his blood on the cross. And so he redeems us. But in this case, Boaz has this opportunity. And this is where Naomi and Ruth are placing all of their hope. He is one of our redeemers. He could help us out of the situation that we're in. So I hope that you're kind of thinking about some of the events in your life that have maybe turned your life upside down. And I hope you've kind of connected some of these dots, but I I want to tell you two tendencies that you and I have in our lives when our lives get flipped upside down, and they're going to relate right back to this story of Ruth and how God worked in Ruth's life. One of our tendencies is that when our worlds turn upside down is to give up. So our tendency is to give up after our world is turned upside down. Have you guys been there? I don't know if it's been in the past or if you're going through that right now. You're just going through some soul-crushing experience that has ruined 
life as you know it, and your tendency, and the easy thing to do is to curl up in the fetal position and just stop. You don't want to do anything else. You're just going to kind of wallow, but it's just so much easier, and it actually feels good when we just give up. And that's our tendency. But Ruth, in this story, she didn't give up. She continued pressing on into what life would have for her. And we see the blessings of God as she moves through that. We have another tendency. Our tendency is to think that our upside-down world will never change or that it couldn't be used for good and for God's glory. Our tendency is to think that if we're in this upside-down world, nothing is ever going to change. We're going to be stuck there forever. And it's not true. God can bring us out of those things that have ruined our lives. Okay? In fact, he is a God who works for the good of all those who love him and are called by his name. God is an infinite God, and he can change that upside-down world uh, that we're living in. Another tendency that we have is just to think that, okay, I'm in this upside down world right now. There's no way that any good could come out of this situation. Some of us have faced some pretty evil things in our life that just crush us. And God is saying, no, 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 I I can even bring good out of that. Now, I didn't bring evil into your life, but I can make something good with it. And our tendency is to think, no, that's impossible, not in this situation. But look at Naomi and Ruth's situation. They were poor, they were destitute, they didn't have husbands in a society that really didn't provide much for widows. Ruth is a Moabite, she's living in Israel. Her life couldn't be worse. But out of all of that, we see that God works in an amazing way to draw Ruth and Naomi closer to himself, and he brings good out of what was bad. And God can do that exact same thing in our lives. And that really just brings us full circle to what I really want you to see as you leave here today, that God delights in displaying his relentless grace and his mercy to his people for their good and their glory. God loves to show you his people his grace and his mercy. He delights in it. And he does it for your good, but he also does it for his glory. So that brings us to a couple questions as we close. Has your world at some point turned upside down? And have you given up? Maybe it was years ago. And you just gave up and you've kind of thrown in the towel. You're just done. I don't think that's what we need to be doing. I think we need to remember that the God who was working behind the scenes can at any moment begin working in our scene in a visible way that we can know and count on him. My last question is, are you one of God's people? Are you one of God's people? Because he loves to show his people his relentless grace and mercy. And if you're one of his people, you can experience his grace and his mercy as well. And if you're not one of his people, you're already actually experiencing his grace and his mercy because he he gives you the breath that you have in your very lungs. I wish that I could promise nothing but good things in your life, but I can't. I can't just 
promise you that you will only ever receive blessings. But what I can promise you is that the God who works behind the scenes in your darkest times at some point is going to come out from behind the scenes and begin working in your life because he loves to show you his relentless grace and his relentless mercy. In just a second, a few pastors are going to be here. If you don't know God, if you're not one of his people, come and speak with one of us. If you want to join a church that puts the name, the word, the word of God and the name of Jesus Christ above everything else, maybe you want to come and join this church today. You could come and talk to one of us about that. Or maybe you've had your world turned upside down recently or in the past, and you've just curled up and given up. Maybe come and speak with a pastor. Maybe we can pray with you. And maybe we can give you some, some biblical advice on how to move forward. Whatever you need to do, in just a moment, the band is going to be up here, and they're going to be singing. And that's your time, really, to respond to the message. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear God, you are you're simply amazing. I thank you that you delight in showing me, one of your people, and all of us, your people, your relentless grace and mercy when we don't deserve it. Sometimes, God, we don't even think we need it. We thank you that you do all of that for our good. We thank you that you do all of that for your glory. God, would you help us just respond and really begin to own the teachings that you are a relentlessly loving God who's going to pursue us because you love us and because you deserve the glory from our lives. God, we love you and we thank you uh, for this time that we can come to your word and see what you have for us. I pray, God, right now that you would help us respond in a manner that is correct. In Jesus' name, amen.